and welcome to the Money Magic Podcast with Pangile Makwakwa. This is the podcast where we talk about trauma and how it affects our finances and our lives. I help women of color unlock ancestral wisdom so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. This podcast was birthed when I started having conversations with private clients and students in my online courses about the remarkable shifts they'd had in their finances and started receiving feedback and updates from people on how these conversations were helping them understand their family dynamics and financial behavior. I've seen how unlocking ancestral wisdom has helped me pay off $60,000 in debt, buy property, launch and grow my company Wealthy Money into a six-figure business in US dollars as I travel and live in various countries on the globe. I've lived in over eight countries and traveled to many more as I built this company. My intention with this podcast is to provide you with weekly episodes that help you understand the importance of healing and help you understand your relationship with money better so you can start making different financial decisions and creating a life you love for yourself and future generations. So without further ado, let's get started and dive into this week's episode. Money Magicians, how are you? So welcome to episode 49 of the Money Magic Podcast. Who, if you've just joined and you don't know who I am, my name is Vangile Makwakwa and I help women of color heal ancestral money trauma so that they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income and live their best lives. I'm also the author of Heart, Mind and Money, Using Emotional Intelligence for Financial Success and the founder of Wealthy Money. Usually as On this podcast, which is how this podcast started, I have my clients and my students come through and share their journey around changing their financial story and their money story and healing and their healing process because healing is a journey, right? You don't quite arrive. It's something that we're doing most times. Um, And for today, though, you guys have had me talk to um, Agnes, you've had me talk to Casey, um, and I've spoken to them about uh, from the mastermind that I'm part of. I've told you guys a little bit about this mastermind on this podcast. Well, I have another guest that is from our mastermind and her name is Lisa. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for saying yes to being interviewed on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to be a part of your work and I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, wow. So please tell us what you do. Who are you? What are your hobbies? the works. Let us know you a little bit more. Yeah. So um, my name is Lisa Kuzman. I live in Rapid City, South Dakota in the U.S. I am a leadership coach and I teach coaches how to be trauma sensitive as well as offer business owners who have complex history of trauma um, coaching in a trauma sensitive manner because there are many things about the way that we do business, how business, the world of um, 
entrepreneurship from a high risk threshold perspective that can really push your buttons, activate you or legitimately trigger your trauma. If you have a history of trauma, and I find a lot of entrepreneurs do have a history of trauma Mm. Um, and we can end up feeling like there's something wrong with us because Mm. we can't do something the way maybe our peers are doing. Uh, Mm. We make money really fast or we make money really slow. There's many Mm. different things that we can be challenged with in entrepreneurship. And when we don't know the way that trauma is at play, it can be very confusing. And so mm-hmm. um, I offer trauma-sensitive business and leadership coaching for entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about my work. So that is a little bit about my work. I'm a former social worker. So I, I practice social work. I worked within um, the veterans administration system here. I worked in hospice. I worked in nursing homes and I did a lot of work in the geriatrics and end of life care space, which of course is the roots of where I come from with my passion around trauma. I'm also a trauma survivor. Um, so, so I have my own experience as well. So a little bit about me. I love, love to drink craft beer. I enjoy hiking and being outdoors. I have a golden retriever who's sleeping under my desk. Hopefully she doesn't bark during this. I love golden retrievers. Oh, she's they so are sweet. the most gorgeous dogs. Yeah. Maybe she'll jump up on the chair behind me and you might be able to see her. Um, Her name is Coda and she's seven years old. And she, I always call her my favorite friend because (laughs) she's my favorite friend. I have a lot of great friends in my life, but she's, (laughs) she is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh yes. Yes. Definitely love golden retrievers. Um, When I was a little kid, for some reason, (laughs) I, despite my mom's many things, like one thing that my mom did was, uh, one thing my mom loves is uh, animals. So my sister and I had two pet pigs growing up. They would sleep in our bedroom. Don't recommend, guys. They had like one room in the house where they would do their business. (laughs) This is like an absolute true story. And my mom named them after my sister and I and gifted us with these pet pigs. Why were pigs sleeping in our beds? I don't know, you know, but we got them. Their mom passed on when they were born. So my mom gave them to us as little babies, like when they were like maybe a few days old to look after them. So we really attached and they would follow us everywhere thinking that we were the parents. <laughs> and like, it was really funny. And um, also we had like seven dogs, which was intense. But I grew to like have a really soft spot for dogs, Labradors. So that's I'm like, oh my God, golden retrievers. And yeah, all these animals. Oh, and we also had like a cat, like Snowball. And <laughs> this cat would, so we had cat, pigs, dogs. Oh yeah, no, don't like my fa- family members would come visit and they were horrified. They were like, well, what is going on in this house? It was, they literally felt like it was the most horrific story. But anyway, also probably part of the reason. Actually, the pigs is also why I went vegan at, in my teens. Mm. It, it's a very, very crazy thing. Like the whole experience after that, I was like, yeah, that's it for me and meat. Like, because I realized that pigs were so intelligent. And I was like, my little babies, how can people eat you? <laughs> yeah. 
So, Lisa, how did you um, come to do this work? So you do have a social work background and you do um, uh, have trauma of your own, but why in particular did you choose business owners and um, uh, teaching them to be trauma sensitive? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I I went into my business full-time in 2016 right Mm. at the height of the Me Too movement. Mm. And um, I had gotten married. I had moved. My husband started his new job. I went into entrepreneurship full-time for my social work career, all in the same six weeks. What? Yes. And then all of a sudden, we're in the midst of the 2016 presidential election in the US. And um, the Me Too movement is like, just going, going crazy on the internet. Um, and I have a variety of traumas in the, my past. And one of them is connected to, um, sexual abuse and sexual assault. And so, um, I was really triggered by that. And mm-hmm. I went to therapy and was doing work with an EM. I, I went through a process of EMDR, which is a therapy yeah. specifically for, um, helping trauma survivors process through and, um, heal basically from trauma. So Mm -hmm. that was the first part where I knew I'd had a trauma history. I had worked with veterans with PTSD and it was when I worked with veterans and saw the way that PTSD worked that I realized, and this was years before, um, when I went through EMDR, I realized, oh my goodness, I think I have PTSD. Um, because the things that they were describing as I was supporting them from a mental health perspective, Mm -hmm. I realized that I, I experienced those things as well. So a couple of years later, when the me too movement started occurring, I, I, and I had a very good friend of mine who was a therapist who had also gone through EMDR said, I really think you need to consider this. Cause I was like, not okay. I was totally not okay. I was, I was a hot mess. Um, so then I get through that first part of, of trauma healing and it had a major impact on my ability to, um, like manage my relationship, manage triggers. Um, I had a lot of intrusive thoughts, um, a lot of fear stuff going on mm. that was irrational, of course, because it was connected yes. to trauma. And so, a couple years later, I've been running my business. I wasn't making very much money, if any, mm-hmm. and I was working 60 hours a week. And I had a mentor of mine say, if you want to have your business be a business and earn an income, a living wage, um, you, and not be like a hobby, you have to raise your rates. Yes. And I was like, okay. And yeah. I couldn't do it. So Mm -hmm. I went, I literally had to go back to therapy, do more EMDR work. And I'm sitting in my therapist's office, sobbing uncontrollably over the concept of raising my rates and working, working this out. Mm. And, and what I realized was, um, there was some, something for sure in my past as a social worker wanting to have, um, wanting to be accessible to everyone, regardless of their ability to pay, right? That was always an intrinsic value of mine because of my training um, and personal value, I should say as well. So, but it wasn't just that I wanted to be accessible to everyone. There were so many things related to worth and value. And 
um, I can't remember the exact details now about what exactly, oh yeah, I was afraid of leaving people behind. I was afraid mm. of abandoning people, right? <sighs> okay, we're going to come to that. There's so many things that I just want to unpack, but I want you to keep going because I'm just like, okay, wow. Yeah, no, that I had to interject and be like, Yes, yes, we call it the fear of losing love in the money magic course, but yes, that is it, leaving people behind. Leaving people behind, abandoning abandoning people who could use my help, mm. who couldn't afford to pay for it. So the mm. deeper I got into this, the more I realized that as a trauma survivor, knowing just simply knowing that people needed support, and having a rate where I couldn't support them was like this weird abandonment thing that got triggered in me. Um, and so as I was going through this therapy to try to get myself to being able to earn a wage that would literally just be able to where I could live on it. Right. I wasn't yes. making enough money to even live and I was yes. having this. Right. And so yeah. um, that was another piece of it is that I had a hard time charging enough to even give myself what I've needed to live at a basic level. Mm, right. Mm, right. So prioritizing, mm. um, taking care of other people over myself is another layer. Mm. Um, and once I got through that round of EMDR and I raised my rates and I started making money that I could live on. Um, yeah. and thankfully I will say I, I am in a two partner relationship and my husband has an income. And so I wasn't at a place where we weren't reliant on my income. So I had quite mm -hmm. a bit of privilege in, in working this out um, mm -hmm. where, right. So I, I just want to claim that as well. Um, yeah. When I got on, I think other... that's important because it, it helps when you're not in survival mode where everything is just not on you and you have support it helps when we are the only ones that we are reliant on and your and the business isn't making money it puts the it puts our entire nervous system into severe states of survival and it sometimes makes it so hard to even think your way out of the process or even think let me go get help or right. believe that you can get help right or even being able to afford help right that is also is, a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in a really um, privileged position to be able to manage my nervous system and to get support and to mm -hmm. work through all of this as I was running my business because of my household income was able to pay for yes. everything that we required. Right. Um, yes. But I still, I'm such a feminist. I wanted to earn enough money in my own business to have a living wage, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was, there was this little bit of, um, there are too many things at play, I should say. When mm -hmm. I got to the other side of that and I started realizing, cause I've always um, in my work as a coach ended up supporting women. The six years mm -hmm. I spent working with men in the VA, I kind of flipped and went back to working with women after that. <laughs> um, I realized, I mean, when we look at data, when we look at statistics, a lot yeah. of people have trauma, right? Whether yeah. we know we have it or not. Yeah. And I have this- Oh, sorry, I just wanted to clarify for people that like VA is Veterans Association, am I correct? It's the uh, Veterans Administration, yeah. Ad Veterans Administration. And guys, so if you're not in the US, that's what it's 
stands for. So. Right. Yeah. So um, the Veterans Administration is a healthcare organization that provides um, healthcare and mental health support to military people who are in the military in the U.S. That's a great, great uh, clarification. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as soon as I got on the other side of that, I could. I could then see the way that other people were bumping up against barriers in mm. their work as an entrepreneur because yeah. their fear was being activated mm. and they weren't necessarily understanding the way that their work as an entrepreneur was activating mm. their fear connected mm. to trauma because yeah. entrepreneurship is already scary, right? There's so yes. many things that you have to like be brave and overcome our fear and do that work, right? And sometimes that be brave, overcome your fear, push through it. I often say to people, you re-traumatize yourself. So most people come and like, maybe they've had two businesses and they haven't worked out by the time they come through to work with me or even work with other coaches, they shaking, they scared at the mere mention of entrepreneurship. It's like, well, you've spent so much, so many years pushing through. Your nervous system just got re-traumatized, you know. So yes. I, this is why I'm like, oh my gosh, they are healing is such a gentle way to move forward. Yes, it's painful to heal and be in the dark things, but it's so much more painful to our entire psyche and nervous system to push through pain and refuse to acknowledge it when everything in us is going like. I'm in pain. I'm scared. This doesn't feel safe. Right. And there are things that, yeah, we might be a little afraid and need to kind of show up and do it anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. There's, but, yes. but there's many, many things connected to the way we might be activated from mm -hmm. a trauma perspective that we may not even be aware and understand why that's happening. Mm -hmm. That is dangerous. That is re-traumatizing. Just like mm -hmm. you said, if we push through in those moments. Yes. And I realized that for myself, when I could be kind and gentle with the true trauma response mm -hmm. as it showed up in business, because I, I was always like, where is this coming from? And why is this happening? I internalized feeling bad about myself for having that be the case. But the reality is I just have a complex trauma history. This is yeah. going to happen. I can't, I can't keep it from happening. So I started yeah. working with it and I started supporting business owners and working with it and being kind and gentle mm -hmm. and noticing the difference of like when to push through and when to not mm -hmm. like when you should not push through and re like traumatize mm -hmm. or um, cause secondary harm. Um, and, and I really believe that those of us who have trauma, we come up with really unique, amazing solutions. Mm. And we bump up against barriers to being able to experience success that other people don't. Mm. And I am just so passionate about it because I really believe that all people, regardless of our experiences, have the ability to be successful in business. But some yes. of us who have a history of trauma, we do need a different approach. We need someone to be aware. Yes. And then from there, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to be teaching coaches how to be trauma sensitive. So we're not accidentally pushing people through things that they shouldn't be pushed through, which is why yeah. I ended up with these like two positive thinking. That I, yeah. I mean, people have heard me on this podcast go ham on that only just because guys, I've been one of those people that was re-traumatized by positive thinking and coaches telling me that like, I just have to think more positive. So 
part of the re-traumatization also came from something must be wrong with me. I'm not good enough because this thing is working for everyone. These affirmations and these visualizations are working for everyone, but not me. (laughs) So then like my good enough wound got triggered on top of that. It was very, very intense. It's very, very complex, actually. And um, and one of the other big things for me was visibility. Mm. Oh, just do a Facebook Live. Just hop on the internet. Just tell people yeah. whatever. I'm like, um, no, it totally shut me down. I mean, I've sat and cried over the thought of doing a Facebook Live. Now, I'm in an entirely different place now. Yeah. But I had to really do some of that deeper inner work. And mm-hmm. I also have had coaches and mentors um, say things like, just do it, get over it, just you gotta, you know, push through. And no, that yeah. that was really act. Then when I wasn't making money or having the success that my peers were having, I really internalized, like I suck as a business owner. I clearly can't do this. I'm not good at it. And that wasn't true either. I just, I wasn't getting a supportive approach that actually worked with all of the complex facets that make me me. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Like, I love that realization that you had that like, you just weren't working with all the complex things that made you, you right? Because often it's almost like we feel that to make it, we have to be less us and be more what another coach is teaching, what someone else is doing. And it's not that. Like I often say, when clients say to me, I don't feel comfortable doing Facebook Live and it's scary. I'm like, okay, you have something around visibility. Let's first work on that. But what else do you like to do? And sometimes they like, well, in my business, I like to write. So I'm like, go write, go blog, go guest blog, go do other things in the meantime. There is no one size fits all strategies. And I think that belief that there is one thing that will make you successful starts to limit us and is what makes us feel like we need to push through even really, really scary situations where it's like, you will ball up and cry from doing a Facebook Live. Guys, that's not healthy. <laughs> it really, really is not healthy. I know that our society teaches that, that that's how you're going to get strong. That's how you're going to keep doing it, keep doing it. If that is happening often and you're not getting through it and eventually you find yourself so frozen, you can't even imagine a Facebook Live then something has happened in terms of your of your nervous system, right? And again, like small fears, different to deep trauma around something because often we keep ourselves invisible because we don't feel safe being seen. It just doesn't feel safe. And that there's a reason for that. There's a reason why most of us don't want to be seen at all, you know? And we need to work with that and start healing that. So I'm so glad you brought up Facebook lives. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, after I did a bunch of this healing work, I, I did a 30 day challenge, um, getting on Facebook live every day for 30 days. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting is, is that on the other side of addressing the complexities, looking deeper, yeah. doing healing work, having appropriate 
support, mm-hmm. I, I have then been able to, like I did a, I did Facebook lives every day for 30 days. Yeah. And it, as I did it, like I was still uncomfortable. I was still a little afraid. Mm-hmm. I got sweaty, you know, um, but it didn't shut me down. Mm-hmm. And so I was able then to do something. Um, and then beyond that, now I have my own podcast. When I first started doing my podcast, oh. I had so many fears about um, the, even just me hearing myself speak out loud. right. Was cause I, I do, I have teaching episodes and then I have interviews and the times that I would speak out loud and I record on video as well. So I'd be Mm -hmm. watching myself Mm -hmm. talk and hearing myself talk at the same time. Um, but it, it, I have been able to get to a place to flex the muscle of showing Mm -hmm. up, owning my voice, knowing I have important things to say, to share that are Mm -hmm. valuable, that are worth being a little uncomfortable for in doing it. And sometimes it's just, you're not, familiar with it. Right. But that's, what's cool on the other side is there can be visibility things. If we tend to our unique, I like to say, um, unique requirements, um, and get the right support. Now, you know, some people may have you know, the right support and attend to their unique requirements and still never do Facebook lives. So I'm not saying that you, you can do anything you put your mind to because some things just aren't the right fit for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, it was cool and liberating to see that some of those things mm-hmm. were accessible to me, um, mm-hmm. in pushing through a little bit, but only once it was safe, only once I was grounded and healed enough and okay enough to do it. So that's, Mm. um, that's an interesting element as well to healing Mm. as a part of entrepreneurship. That is a very interesting element, like so, so excited um, that you brought this up because I think the next question that maybe uh, people listening are wondering about is how do you tell when something is a little scary and when your nervous system is shutting down? Mm-hmm. Is there a cue that they can take, especially because we have the push through culture. So pe- I think it's disconnected us from our bodies so much, you know, and we've been taught like, if you just think it, and if you want it, my my worst one is, if you want it hard enough, you'll be able to do it. Mm-mm. Is there anything more awful than that? (laughs) Honestly, because it literally implies that people around the world who are unable to do certain things just don't want that thing hard enough, you know, or don't really want it. So how can people listening in know when something is shutting them down or when it's just a fear that they can work through? Yeah. Um, I just want to speak to that. That is such a harmful thing to say. I have wanted to be successful in business and spent Mm. 60 to 80 hours a week hustling Mm. my ass off. I wanted to make it happen. And I couldn't like, there wasn't, there wasn't anything about my commitment and my effort and my Mm. pull yourself up by the bootstraps, get it done. It, yeah. it did not work for me. And mm. I, I really internalized that there was something wrong with me. Maybe I just didn't yeah. want it a heart, you know, like, Oh, that's such a harmful thing. So thank you so much for bringing that up because that is entirely wrong. Sometimes <laughs> we just need certain things to be able to then yeah. oh, get on the other side. Okay. So, 
Um, you said the word shut down, and I feel like that is a really good term to explain what happens, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in depth is Mm. when, when I have very big emotional reactions to things that are out of context for the situation Mm. or are not how I typically respond. Mm. that's a cue for me. Something else is going on here. Mm. I am probably experiencing a trauma trigger that I'm not aware of. And what's interesting about the subconscious mind is, is that there can be things that activate the fear center in our brain from a subconscious place, sight, sound, Mm -hmm. smell, something happening in our environment that we're not cognitively aware of that activates Mm. true trigger response. Yes. Which then causes a shutdown. But what happens for me is, is that there will be times where I feel an extreme kind of way and it doesn't make sense in the situation, Mm. right? Mm. Or I am like, anytime I feel confused or I'm responding in a way that is atypical for me, the first thing I think is like, something's wrong, I'm crazy, right? Like, and and then the way I experience, the way it happens to me is I feel like I get hit by a tsunami. And then I I get on the other side of this extreme emotional reaction. Mm. And I feel like I collect all my bits and pieces back together. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, what just happened? Why did I say that? Why did I respond like that? How did that go down like that? Then I feel ashamed and I feel bad. And it's because it's literally out of character for me to behave or to say, or to be emotional in that kind of way. But in the moment it's impulsive because it's a trigger. I don't have Mm -hmm. control always in the moment. The more I'm aware, the better I can sense when these things are happening and Mm. notice and pause and take care of myself in whatever way I might need, which is always different given the situation at play. Um, but, but I can't always do that. So sometimes what ends up happening is we have to get to the other side of an extreme response, um, or an atypical response. And then we have to be kind and gentle to ourselves. And then we have to notice, Mm -hmm. well, what happened? We can't prevent these things from occurring, but when they do, Mm -hmm. then we can start learning a little bit about the way in which we get activated, the way in which we get triggered Mm -hmm. and what we might need in those situations. Um, I had a really complex trauma response a few months ago. And it took me two weeks to try to figure out what it took me two weeks to figure out what was going on with me. Yes. Whole weeks. Yep. I've had other. It can take that long. It can. We always say on this podcast that it can take days. It takes weeks. They've heard guests talk about that. It, when it's complex, I mean, it's complex. I mean, like if it was something that was easily intellectualized, you wouldn't be reacting the way that you are, right? You would be just like able to stop yourself halfway through or even just like 
10% of the way into the reaction and just like change behavior. But because it's such a deep trauma and such a deep trigger, it's going, it's difficult to almost stop in the midst of our response. And that's why we reflect afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to just reiterate how important it is for people to know that they, we can't prevent these things from occurring. We can do some healing and it can shift mm-hmm. sometimes, but it's more important to be aware and to be really kind and gentle and to start learning the way in which your unique stuff is presented Mm -hmm. and the unique needs that you have in those moments Mm -hmm. and then doing your best to tend to yourself and care for yourself and then forgive yourself or be able to like one of the things I've had to do with my husband is come back to him after um, I've gotten really angry or I've been really intense and I've said certain things that are actually not in alignment with how I think and feel normally, but in that moment felt very strongly, right. Mm -hmm. To go back and say, Hey, well, and the, the piece has been very hard for me, honestly, in my relationship is to say, the reason why this is occurring is because I have this unique trauma and that Mm -hmm. impacts me in this way. And it shows up like this for Mm -hmm. us. And I, I'm sorry. Right. I wish that wasn't the case, but this is actually like what I live with all the time. Cause I don't, I have been so ashamed of the things that have happened to me and the way that those things show up and impact me and impact my relationships. I Mm. do not want people to know. I can now say I'm a trauma survivor and I can be transparent about that. Yeah. But I have had to work a lot around my shame of, Mm. and my willingness to say it out loud. Yes. Now I don't do this everywhere. Right. But with him, there's certain things that he needs to know about why I am the way I am sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and like, it's not making an excuse for my behavior, but it's Mm -hmm. contextually helping him get, get it. And like, when I say, I'm sorry, I'm not bypassing the situation. I'm not Mm -hmm. giving myself a free pass. I'm not trying to justify my behavior. It's just like, Mm for him to better understand me and for me to better understand myself. Right. Mm. Oh, that takes so much vulnerability to have those kinds of conversations. So much, so much, because I think when we're doing that, we don't know if the person is going to accept us or reject us. Right. And I've had moments where I've had to do that also in relationships or in friendships or even with my siblings, you know, it's like, yeah, we grew up in the same household, but my response to certain things can be so wild, you know, because of how we all process trauma and some of their responses to certain things will have me like going like, what? So we've had to learn to have that unpacking. And I think it takes a lot of vulnerability and trust, you know, that this person is still going to accept you. So most of us are scared to do that because we're like, Will I lose this love if I come forth? Will the person still look at me the same way? Will they think less of me? So I think that's where some of the difficulties come from. If they really knew what happened to me, Mm. the ways in which I'm broken. Yes, yes. Like I am not as put together as they think I am. And I think this is why so many of us have this, 
deep need to appear perfect and was so scared of having even one hair out of place and someone seeing that because wow that means that they will see that i am flawed and am i now lovable because i think one of the biggest fears of humans is how we were scared that like if there's something wrong in inverted commas with us then we are no longer lovable you know and i think one of the hardest things in life is that most of us have been brought up in households where when we weren't good kids and doing the right thing love was withdrawn certain promises were revoked and that now makes us feel like as adults oh my gosh if i am not perfect the same thing will happen with our relationships with people that we're relationshiping with be it romantic friendships siblings all that but that's only because that's how we were taught love works and it's taken me so long to i'm still unraveling that but i've gotten better over the years because literally i have a mother that does that right so if i'm not perfect i'm not good enough she takes away love and she did that all the time as a child so if i'd been promised to go somewhere and i really wanted to go if i did something bad or terrible then no that's no longer happening you know so as an adult i came into adulthood with that fear in relationships like <gasps> if they find out i'm not this perfect human that's it like i should just prepare for a breakup right yeah yeah i really appreciate you bringing up this um control and perfectionism thing because that's such a trauma response um mm-hmm. and controlling things um identifying mitigating and preventing things mm. right because that's like that's a way at least it has been for me yeah. to manage like yes. if i can control these mm. things then i know that i can handle that i can manage yeah. that that mm. is something that i'll be able to tolerate right yes. um and or the perfectionism of like if i'm perfect then that's one of the ways that i can prevent something bad from happening right all the time that used to be my entire psyche <laughs> yeah oh my goodness and it takes so much mental and emotional energy yeah. that then is not available to do the healing work and then the other piece it's like yes there's this thing around external love right but mm-hmm. i've struggled a lot i've always um people have always perceived me as being very confident and i am I am a very confident mm-hmm. person. However, I have not loved myself well. Mm-hmm. I have not felt good about myself inside. Mm-hmm. I have I think had so to, many of us can resonate with that. I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had to really really work on learning how to love myself. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that things have happened to me. right mm-hmm. i mean it's such a trauma response to take responsibility like those things if i had done x y and z those things wouldn't have happened therefore mm-hmm. it's my fault right mm-hmm. um and then sometimes we're told it's your fault which is also not true right true. abuse is never um our fault and so mm-hmm. that self love piece and and we're in a um just love yourself self love culture it's <laughs> yeah. it is not easy it is not straightforward it drives me crazy yeah. because um it's very it's a, 
very long, arduous journey to get to the point to really, really love yourself most of the time, you know? And I grew up in a community. I don't know about other people's communities, but in my community, it was always like a girl who does not love herself. And it was like, shunned if someone did something they were like oh that girl does not love herself as if like we grow up in societies that teach us to love ourselves you know just (laughs) we're constantly being told that there's something wrong with us so the very same community that was like you must love yourself was always like pointing out flaws like oh she's not the right weight oh she's too short this 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 and then you're like yeah, and now you wonder why this girl doesn't love herself. Like, what the heck? But there's so there is also that whole thing that most of us are scared to own that I haven't loved myself for a long time. And now I'm on this journey to love myself. And please, can someone help me do this? Because there is that element of shaming if we don't, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, there's not a lot of role models, true role models of people who embody, um, self-love and self-acceptance and self-confidence in healthy, balanced ways where they get to be everything that they are. Mm. And that that's not only is it okay, but it's amazing. Mm, I love that. There's not a lot of places where we see that embodied. Mm. So, because we need to be a certain body shape and size, we need to communicate in a certain way. We, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's so many verb, like, um, expressed and unexpressed parameters around what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that this is true, regardless of where you live and what your religion is and where you like your community. Mm -hmm. Um, they, those guidelines might be a little different, but there are guidelines. There are guidelines. Oh my gosh. We, and that's the thing. We all have guidelines. And I used to think that these guidelines were maybe wildly different across cultures, but the more that I've traveled, I'm like, Hmm, they tend to be very similar, especially when it comes to women. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The other thing, the other thought that's coming to me is um, aspects around religion um, and or belief systems. So many of those are patriarchal um, and, and that serves men in a way it doesn't serve women. Um, I have a unique experience. I was raised uh, literally in a cult, um, a very bizarre spinoff of a Christianity. And um, so, so religion, I think is also an important thing. Um, and now there's spiritual belief systems and some of those can be really wonderful and healthy. Uh, but some of our religious systems, uh, can be pretty harmful. Um, oh, we talk, we talk a lot about religious trauma on this podcast. Oh, good, good. Um, of course. A part of my work, I have like a body of work called the God Wound. So we diagnose a religious trauma. We also diagnose our own inability to see our own divinity. So even if we didn't grow up religious, like I wasn't brought up religious. Um, I I grew up like my mom practiced African spirituality. So we spoke a lot to our ancestors and stuff. 
In later years, she's since found catechism, which has been an interesting trip to observe. But <laughs> we were already out of the house, living on our own. So we just, as adults, were observing her journey with that. But she still um, is very much a practicing um, African spirituality as well. My dad has, has been a non-believer in all things. So he's Although his belief is in Confucianism, so that's been very, very interesting because he would tell us about Confucius and I was like this child that was growing up and learning about <laughs> Confucius. But yes, there is a lot around spiritual, not even just religious trauma, also like spiritual trauma, people that are coming from new age belief systems that, again, like what we speak about, the re-traumatization of like, oh, you weren't grateful enough, etc. So having to unpack that. So yeah, that also impacts us and how we approach the world. Yeah, I love this podcast because we talk a lot about that as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Of course you do. That's good. <laughs> so Lisa, I just wanted to backtrack. There are two things that I wanted to ask about. So let me ask about the first one, because I'm sure people have written it down and are circling it. Like people send me messages and say they listen to this podcast with a cup of coffee, notebooks and a pen, and they write down notes, you know, so That's people awesome. send me long feedbacks on things, because they just like, this is what I got from today's podcast. So guys, before you go, <laughs> stop the podcast and go Google EMDR. I wanted Lisa to explain it. It's a healing modality, but I want her to unpack it and talk about why it's so powerful. Mm, okay, so I have utilized EMDR. Um, and I actually teach around, I, I teach coaches what it is, um, mm -hmm. from a conceptual basis, just so that if, if a coach has, um, someone who they're working with, who needs more trauma therapy or healing mm -hmm. work in a therapeutic modality, cause there's many, many ways to heal trauma, not just through yes. therapy. True. Um, but I don't have those notes in front of me exactly. And I'm not an expert, but I will do my very best off the top of my head. So Please based on we're, we're just grateful to be educated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and based on my own experience. So um, EMDR is uh, emotional eye movement de desensitization reprocessing, I believe is what the, um, the four letters stand for. Um, mm -hmm. And it is a process and it's a multiple stage process and it's pretty intense where you begin with sharing some of your um, story of who you are and the, and your basic understanding of what your experiences have been, mm -hmm. um, where your disruptions because of your experiences have arrived. So it's kind of the first part you develop a relationship with your therapist, you start to give some history. Um, and the therapist starts to identify where some of your um, root trauma triggers, responses, or um, where some reprocessing could occur. Because what happens is, and of course, this is different than um, depending on when your trauma occurs, where you're at in your developmental phase, um, things can happen differently in the way that you process information. Um, but in a traumatic moment, your brain processes that because of how intense it is in a way that is different than how it, your brain processes information and experiences and emotions typically. 
So what happens is, is that there actually ends up being a, I'll just call it a stuck spot Mm. with where this experience has been processed in your brain that can literally be reprocessed. So from left brain to right brain. Mm. Um, And the therapist identifies a couple of those places where, and, and for me, it is like, I had certain fears or certain Hmm, what's the right word? Intrusive thoughts or, mm-hmm. or intense emotional reactions to things that I, I could never not experience. Like they were always, they always haunted me. I could not escape yeah. from them. Right? Yes. Yes. And they, those were anchored in certain memories. And mm. so the therapist helps you identify those memories. Yes. Once those memories are identified in the way my therapist explained it to me is you, when you can reprocess that memory, it might actually release a bunch of other tangent memories connected to it that you don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But those memories can be very hard memories. Mm. So the reprocessing piece, um, you, you have visual stimulation, visual, tactile, and audible stimulation. So you hold little things that vibrate in your hand. You have headphones in that does a beep on one side, and Mm. then you watch a light where the light tracks. And all of that is, is stimulating physiologically, um, your right hemisphere of your brain and your left left hemisphere of your brain, as you're remembering your memory Mm. to be able to move it to the healthier part of processing. That makes any sense. And again, I would love to have a therapist who actually does this. Listen to this. Hopefully if I'm doing this right. Um, this, this is just is my so fascinating. I, yeah. I know of EMDR, but I've never done it. Um, I've got several friends that have been doing it though. And yeah. they say it is incredible. They love it. Yeah. It's so it's intense. So in my experience, we identified a couple of memories and these were very, very hard memories, right? Mm-hmm. Brought up extreme emotion, much distress. So a part of the mm. beginning process is being safe enough and, and, and connected enough to your therapist where your therapist can hold space for you to mm. go into that traumatic memory and ex- re-experience it because it is a little re-traumatizing to do that. Um, yes. The other part is being able to then set you up to know so that you can cope and you can manage your emotion and the integration outside of the session as well. Mm. But while you do remember the memory and have this tactile stimulation, I had a couple instances where when I would begin, I would say I'm at a 10 out of 10 with emotional distress. Mm. I would remember the memory, have the tactile visual hearing stimulation. And sometimes all three is too much and people mm. can only handle one. Yes. Then I would get to it and I would think about the memory at the end. And I would have gone from a 10 out of 10 to just out of, of distress to a six. Wow. We do it again and I could get to a one or a two wow. or a zero. Wow. And then literally I was like, I was then freed from that intense emotional reaction that I didn't have any control mm-hmm. over that. I then, I literally don't experience those emotional, extreme, intense reactions mm-hmm. to certain memories and experiences that I've had yes. liberating. So incredibly liberating. Ooh. Um, 
That is amazing. Which is why it's so incredibly powerful. And then the therapist then also as a part of the process teaches you how to um, cope when, when emotional distress comes up related to trauma mm-hmm. triggers, how you handle that, how you take care of that, right? Um, and for me, I've gone through two different rounds of EMDR because I had different memories that um, like as you heal, things shift mm-hmm. and then other stuff can surface a little. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I have, pretty complex stuff throughout many different phases and places in my life. Um, So that, that is one of the ways uh, that is uh, my version of EMDR, at least my experience of it. And it was so liberating. Like there's still times where I want to call or write my therapist letters or send her flowers (laughs) because I feel so such a massive sense of gratitude for not being paralyzed by yeah. those things anymore. Like I am, mm-hmm. they am literally liberated from the intensity Nothing of that experience. beats that. Do you know how often I tell my coaches that? I just thank them and thank them and thank them. Like, because it literally is priceless. The things that healing, that healers can do for us, you know, be it therapy, healers, our coaches, there is no amount of money. Sometimes like I tell my trauma coach that I'm like, there really isn't, you know, it's because you know what it's like to live in that debilitating state and then to live in a state where you're relatively free. Oh my gosh. It's, it's like night and day. Yeah. (laughs) So much more is available if your ability to, um, experience the potency of joy and life and to not be held back or influenced by some of the, the things that when, when those really, really intense things happen, um, and then they're not happening anymore. It's like, we have this access in a whole other way, which is such a beautiful, wonderful thing to be able to then really enjoy life and have happiness and um, yeah oh that we gosh. can't have happiness if we don't go through trauma healing but um I think yeah. you understand what I'm saying we just have more <laughs> access to and more of the just, to be able to hold more yeah. emotionally and to be able to process more emotionally because I think here's the thing with trauma our Alice it completely like our allostatic load is completely just like right I don't know if that's the right terminology but I don't have the right words for it but our we like are overloaded in terms of our nervous system and all the things that we have in our bodies right guys I'm just gonna talk normally so imagine your body is like discovered is that the right word but like let's talk about that and you and you're holding all and every time you have like all these memories come in there's something getting slotted into different shelves. But at the same time, some things are being slotted in messily, not at all folded up. And so they take up more space than all the other things. And it's just messy. And as you start to heal, all those things that are taking up all the space get neatly folded up, tucked up. You're like, oh, I can look at them now. They all clean. They get ironed. You put them back into the closet. And so now you suddenly have more space to be able to take in more, to have more experiences, because 
as those experiences are coming in, they're coming into now a closet that is almost half empty because now you've got more space. So this is why we do the work. So you can, this is what I mean by you can hold more, you can process more, you can go out and be more in the world because things don't trigger you as much because you don't have the um, messily folded up clothes. <laughs> I don't know, like that's just an analogy that came to me, but it that's what it feels like. So <laughs> Um, Lisa, when you started, so this is my second last question, but um, when you started, you talked about having PTSD. And I know a lot of people, we've always associated PTSD with something like, um, exactly like veterans and uh, Vietnam vets or people that have gone to war. And most of us don't even understand that you can have PTSD as just yourself. Can you please explain how that happens? Like, what is PTSD? Because I think PTSD is one of those big words that can that has always fallen in with the idea of like trauma being, you've gone through war, you've gone through the most horrific things, and that is what trauma is. Meanwhile, it's not always the horrific, gory stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, I wish I had all of my research. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, Sorry to good. put you on the spot. That's, a, that's okay. It's a good challenge. Um, so PTSD is a post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, people can have post-traumatic stress responses and mm-hmm. or, um, you know, pre- presentation without actual the disorder element of it. Um, PTSD is, um, actually falls in the, um, DSM, which is the American psychological diagnostic, whatever that manual is called, they changed the name. Um, Mm -hmm. so the diagnostic criteria for PTSD actually falls under an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, and what it is when you have some pretty extreme ability to function in your day-to-day life mm-hmm. as a result of how the trauma that you experienced impacted you. Mm-hmm. So you can have intrusive thoughts. You can have high levels of anxiety. You can experience depression. You can have intrusive thoughts. You can have flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have difficulty being in certain, like certain places being avoidant of certain places because you have a flashback. Um, and so what ends up happening is, is that PTSD is actually where you, your ability to function day to day and navigate your life is, is impacted enough that it's, it's not, I don't want to say normal because I don't like the word normal. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything really normal or true I agree Um, that word doesn't really apply yeah it doesn't apply but when um your typical functioning and your typical ability to manage your life is Mm. impacted by the severity of a traumatic experience or multiple traumatic experiences Mm. that you have had um and it also really can impact your ability to um to manage relationships Yes. Because of fear, because of trust, because of um, need to control, right? So mm, that was me for years and years. Um, 
even maintaining relationships because, well, if they finally know me, like I said, then they won't like me. So I'll always keep you at a distance so that you never know the real me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, so that, that like being guarded for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, For me, uh, and then one of the other things that can be true is disassociation. So um, literally kind of leaving your body and not remembering certain um, experiences or sections of time in your day, because you, from a coping mechanism, your fear center got activated so much that you, you, you leave your body. Um, and that can be something that in the moment of a traumatic experience can be, um, a really helpful coping mechanism, but then that can occur later because of the intensity and the re-trigger, like the trick when the triggers occur. Um, and then that makes it hard to remember, like when certain things have happened, what did you do? What did you say? How did you behave? Um, then, then that can impact, you know, really even memory blocks, right? Cause yeah. I have so many clients and students that come to me and say, I don't remember my childhood. It's like when you ask me about primary school or high school or what happened when you were 16, they literally like, I have no memory. And I was like that for the longest while when it came to my childhood and even my teens. It was my memories were little, just like flashes of things. I didn't remember a lot of things. And when I started to heal, what really shocked me was how many memories and incidents I remembered and started to see, but so many of them were so scary and so traumatic, you know? Mm -hmm. So one of the things is really like not remembering childhood memories. I mean, usually the students that do eventually remember Not eventually, but once they do start remembering, it's always, wow, the stories that come out are just really intense. It's how we protect ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. I've done a massive amount of healing um, as well, and I still can't remember hardly anything before the age of eight. I still have like like you said, little flashes from here and there, maybe a a memory or two a year before the age of like 10, 10, eight to 10 and and below, like from birth until then. And actually the memories that I have mostly are just stories of things that people have said. I don't actually have much memory from my entire childhood. So that's the other thing that I think is fascinating because I would like to have some of those, some, some things I also have remembered that I would rather have not remembered, right. That like (laughs) came came from healing and also like were hard memories to remember. Um, But even through a lot of healing, we can, we can still have a significant absence of memory. Um, Mm, And that can be really bringing that up. Yeah. And a part of it has to do with like, when you are young, when you experience significant trauma in those early developmental phases of life, that can also, so that's another thing that's interesting is, is if you have an early childhood trauma and a secondary or multiple traumas later in your life, the more you have over the course of time or the severity that can also impact whether or not you actually develop PTSD. 
many people yeah. may experience symptoms of um, PT, PTSD, but not actually ha- like be diagnosed. Um, and so I was so smiling because I-, I saw the dog. <laughs> well, gosh, guys, if you're watching on YouTube, you get to see the golden retriever. Wow, what a beauty. <laughs> Thank you. She's such a sweet, sweet girl. <laughs> My favorite friend. <laughs> what else did I want to say? Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually had to reach out to my therapist because I went to a, a free clinic um, where I was able to get support and yeah. they didn't do diagnosis. They didn't actually diagnose people because they weren't utilizing insurance companies. Um, mm-hmm. And they also didn't want to give people labels. Right. But I reached out to right. her later and said, I actually have from a diagnostic criteria, I have PTSD. Right. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, you have absolutely met criteria for the diagnosis of PTSD at some point in your, in your life. Right. Um, and so that's, it felt important to me to, Mm -hmm. to know that because it validated Mm -hmm. the like, Oh, I'm not, there isn't anything wrong with me. I'm not crazy. I'm not making this up. Like I knew I wasn't, but, um, I internalized a lot of like, there's something wrong with me stuff. And knowing that that diagnosis was true for me was really helpful. It's like, oh, this makes sense now, right? Like I'm not making excuses. This Mm -hmm. like literally I need certain things for certain reasons because I require them, not because I'm high maintenance or I can't adapt or I can't be flexible right? Yeah. No, I literally require <laughs> certain things. So no, I'm so glad you said that. Because I think that is a big thing. Like, I used to walk around for years when I didn't understand trauma, how it plays out. I used to think I was just a freak. Like, why could I not respond normally to life events? And um, I mean, I don't know if I shared this in the mastermind before, but I used to have like panic attacks dealing with money and managing money. And that for me, it, I remember like thinking, this is, I'm a freak. Like people won't understand why I can't send out invoices, why I curl up when people ask for my pricing, why like my entire system freezes when people say, what is the price of this service? And I'm just like, you know, so I used to think all these things just made me weird. Why, like, I just didn't respond in certain ways when it came to dating and things like that. And I started doing the trauma work and he was like, wow, okay, I get it. I see it. I understand it. And I just, and it helped me develop such deep compassion for myself which was a good step in the self-love journey because I stopped beating myself up. I stopped berating myself. It was like, of course. And so much of this has happened to you from a young age. You were powerless. You couldn't stop a lot of these events. But now they're showing up this way and you're healing them. But it's awesome. Like you get to sit with that. And I think... For me, if anything, that's what trauma, the healing journey has helped me find that compassion for myself. Because for years I couldn't find it. And I would just like 
talk horribly to myself. Just do it. This is such a simple thing. Like yeah. it's just sending out an email. It's just responding. What's wrong with you? I'd What's say those things in the mirror, you know? And That's now it's like, of course, like I get it. I see you. Okay. Let's see where this is coming from. So yeah. much better. <laughs> The other thing that um, I find really helpful is uh, when, uh, so I like to talk to my little self. I call her little Lisa. Yeah. And um, there are times where I, uh, I have a trauma response or I'm starting to experience something that mm -hmm. is seemingly atypical. I don't really understand why it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll say, hey, little Lisa, like, what do you need? Because in my attempts at coping in life, I have ignored some of my basic needs or maybe what my little self needed mm -hmm. just in trying to like get through and to cope mm -hmm. where there are times I feel like my little self doesn't trust me. doesn't mm -hmm. believe me. Right. And so there are times where I have to say to little Lisa, um, I promise I'm not going to continue to give you the rest, the nutrition, the kindness, the generosity, the whatever you need. Um, but right now today we do need to work hard to get a couple of things done, but I, this doesn't mean I'm neglecting you. Right. Yeah. Um, or that I'm not listening to you telling me that like, we're tired right now. Yes, I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's also been a really cool thing for me, um, in learning to trust myself right because it can be hard to trust ourselves because of the way that we're naughty in our head or the way we neglect ourselves or the way we just try to get through life and coping um yeah, yeah. oh this has been so such a great conversation beautiful. it has been so lisa i'm sure people are like oh my god this woman is amazing i need to get her into my life how do people get hold of you how do they work with you Wow, this has been incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, it's easy. My my website is lisakuzman.com, L-I-S-A-K-U-Z-M-A-N. My email address is lisa at lisakuzman.com. Um, oh, nice. My uh, <laughs> Facebook business page is Lisa Kuzman, leadership expert. And on Instagram, I'm coach Kuz, which is just a little bit different there. So, um, and I do have a podcast as well. So my podcast, oh, yes. please do share it. Yeah. It's called serving it hot. And it's where I dish the deets about how to lead in today's online world. Um, oh. and we talk about a lot of behind the scenes things and issues that mm -hmm. leaders face. I'm so excited to have you come on as a guest here soon. Yeah, guys, I'm going to be a guest on Lisa's podcast. Do not worry. I'm going to be sharing it. I'm going to be sharing the link. So you guys have access to it. I'm going to share it to the mailing list as well. So yeah, thank you so much, Lisa. I think, wow, the people that come on this show share such incredible life-changing information i am forever grateful so thank you for being one of those guests and for just being so generous with everything that you are sharing so many magicians if you have enjoyed this please go to itunes and um give us a five-star rating leave us a review tell us what you've loved about the podcast the guests any questions that you would have loved to have addressed that I can ask other guests, you can also ask that. Thank you for the YouTube 
uh, comments. We greatly appreciate them. Also go to Podbean, leave us comments. And of course, share this with your family and friends. If you really love this episode, please share it with an entrepreneur that you know is struggling financially and maybe just spinning their wheels and not understanding why they can't do simple things, you know, like the Facebook lives, writing a post, sharing their pricing, invoicing clients, all that, because this may actually help them understand that there's nothing wrong with them. So thank you for tuning in. And as usual, if you want to learn how to heal ancestral money trauma, and you're loving these podcast guests, and you want to work more around ancestral money trauma and falling in love with your bank account, do check out the Money Magic course at wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. I will see you again next week with another incredible guest. Cheerio! I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you find this podcast helpful and enlightening, please can you do me a favor and go leave the podcast a five-star review on iTunes or leave a comment on YouTube. And of course, share it with your family and friends. I would really appreciate it because it would help other money magicians who are looking to change their relationship with money find this podcast, which would really make my day. Also, as a bonus, if you're interested in changing your spending habits, I have a complimentary ebook for you. You can download it at wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Have a fantastic day further and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Money Magic Podcast.